All right. Welcome back, everybody. Something very special for you out there today. Uh, first of all, I am Colin. I'm here with Dom. Dom, how are you feeling? I am excited because uh, we're here talking some Survivor again uh, on the main feed in the offseason, a rare treat for us at this point. And we're doing that with someone who we have not spoken to in far, far too long. A uh, friend of the show, maybe the original friend of the show, longtime friend of the show. I'm going to say Bessie of the show, Stephen Fishback. Well, first of all, thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Like, I still remember the token sheens podcast i did with you guys which was one of my favorite podcasts of i've ever done um and there there have been a few at this point but i'm glad you mentioned like you know one of the original besties of the show because that brings up a real contentious issue for me that i think we should resolve before you know we move further which is that in cambodia you know you guys fed spencer the big clue about the puzzle that you know they were going to reuse and granted that paid off in spectacular fashion i had already been eliminated and spencer ended up breezing through that puzzle thanks to your you know prompting um but what the f why you know maybe if you had given me that hint i would have known to stay in longer just to to make it that far no if if we knew what uh what what turn various people involved would, would take later? We, we would have fed all the answers to you. You know, we wouldn't have been feeding Joe Anglim all of these puzzle clues and everything else. I was bracing myself to some extent to get yelled at by you for various things over the course of this podcast. I didn't know it was going to be right away, but I probably could have seen that coming. Uh, Stephen, though. Now, you want to start with the goods, you know, start with the juice, the conflict, the tension. You know, bring the viewers in and then we can start talking about the boring things nobody cares about. We have just recently rewatched Survivor Cambodia over on the Patreon feed, incidentally, patreon.com slash Dom and Colin. Uh, we've gone through episode by episode. We just finished the finale, and we thought it would be fun and per- perhaps contentious. Uh, some other some other, excuse me, adjectives might be getting worked in the mix there as well. Uh, to have you on here, which we did immediately on the heels of Cambodia as well, but now that frankly a lot of time has passed it's been about eight years since all of this has gone down wanted to just kind of take your temperature on your thoughts on cambodia today and i'm sure we're going to weave in some other just kind of general survivor kind of big picture stuff and just catch up with you and where you're currently standing on like the state of the game and i actually want to start kind of at the end of Cambodia and the whole when it's all said and done kind of impact of it, because it is a very interesting season to watch back all these later, all these years later, because of what Survivor has become now, like in modern times. And like, even in the moment, I think it stood out as a season that was like pretty clearly ahead of its time. What do you think now about the impact Cambodia had on just the franchise overall? I mean, I think you're right that it was a turning point. And you see it a little bit in, in Worlds Apart in season 30. Um, but I do think in terms of you know the direction that Survivor ended up going, Cambodia did lead the way in a kind of... I mean, for, for probably for worse. I was going to say for better or for worse, but uh, probably mostly for worse. Um, you know, I well, in terms of, you know, I do think Cambodia was one of the earliest seasons where there was a lot more fluidity to alliances, and that's become really a hallmark of the strategic thinking now. Um, and that was something that, of course, you know, the contestants were running with, but also, like, I think was important to the people running the game, too. You know, I think they wanted it to be a more fluid season, and, you know, that's that was stood out in the people they selected, and I think that stood out kind of in how they were encouraged the game to go um and then obviously in terms of the weepiness it's so funny like i mean i've i've i've, I've said this before but you know when, when people look back on to- at the time the token chains was airing everyone was like oh my gosh who is this weasel steven fishback he's not he's not loyal to jt like what kind of man is he <laughs> to not have true alliances to his blood brother and now you know then then years later when people would watch back token chains they would be like of course, Steven's not like 100% loyal to this guy. But at the time, like at the time, I was like considered, you know, uniquely weaselly. Um, and, and that's that sort of aged well. But and, and then then, too, I, I just sort of had this epiphany recently with Cambodia. You know, at the time of Cambodia came out, like everyone was like, who is this weepy guy? You know, why is he crying all the time? And now, you know, now crying is like the hallmark of Survivor. Like if you're not crying, are you even like really having an emotional journey on the show? Um, and so I'm really glad that. That now at least, you know, I always had a lot of like built up shame in advance of when my children would watch Cambodia 
you know, they'd be like, why is dad crying all the time? But now it's like, you know, they're going to be like, well, who are these other people and how come they're not crying? Like, thank God dad is crying. Thank God he's the only normal weeby contestant on this show. Yeah, we, we definitely want to return to that idea of watching your seasons with, uh, you, you know, your loved ones at some point uh, in the future. But uh, staying on Cambodia's impact at the time and maybe after the fact, because I imagine as it, as it was airing, you, I mean, even at the tribal council you were getting voted at, at were saying, you know, this this season is, is a sea change in terms of how the game is played and thought about. And maybe the full impact of that couldn't even really be imagined uh, at the time. Looking back, does it feel like, some kind of shift like that was inevitable and maybe it took a season of second chances playing hard like an all returning season to uh catalyze that or was it actually you know this this weird mix of people that came together here actually set off this change in direction that maybe would not have happened otherwise that's interesting i mean i do think the show was ready to kind of like move into sort of a new gear um you know and and that was by the way something that i was not like an advocate for you know just to be clear like i never thought that the whole quote voting blocks um thing was a good thing i was always and have always been you know a real proponent of alliances you know if you're a player like that's that's the best way to exert control over the game it just seemed i was i was just being descriptive i mean i can't again like i do think some of it comes down to you know this idea percolating that then like you know you see the producers get excited you know they're putting it in the episode you know so then it becomes kind of that becomes what the game is about partially because of that becomes what the show is about you know if even if people there were sort of toying with this new idea simply the very fact that that's featured so heavily in the discussion about the show in the show itself then for future seasons that becomes kind of the benchmark of okay here's what an alliance means now like how do we respond to that um and it is really hard to put that genie back in the bottle you know if there's no expectation of alliance loyalty at any point like how do you how do you ever like re you know reconstitute that and it's like that cliche like trust takes a lifetime to build but an instant to destroy or whatever you know that that's sort of true of the very concept of alliances like as soon as you're telling people you don't have to stay in an alliance and that's okay that's like a good way to play this game or a fine way to play this game then it becomes like basically impossibly difficult to convince people to stay in alliances there, there were maybe some early precursors of this in like philippines for example or some other seasons where things were jumping around a lot at uh, san Rondelsa had kind of just aired at this point and also the end gamers on cambodia were mostly uh 28 and 29 right so there's yeah. There's that weird phenomenon where it's the recent seasons that always just come back and do well again. But then also maybe those people were best equipped to kind of ride this this new tide that uh, some of the old scholars uh, weren't perhaps. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I mean, for me, like my perspective on why the recent seasons do well is is maybe slightly different. I mean, for me, I mean, obviously they're like, their heads are most in the game. There's also the sense of, we, there's a lot of recency bias in casting. So those are going to be the seasons where people, you have the most people from those seasons. And there's going to be a lot of familiarity between those contestants because those are the people who are like going out to these reality TV events all the time. You know, you certainly see that now with recent seasons um, all over social media. And so they know each other and they're familiar with each other. You know, they, you had four people from um, Kaga on, on on our season and, and three people from three people from San Juan del Sur yeah three people from San Juan del Sur and with the exception of Cass they all made it to the end oh, and I guess woo so like but like five of those people made it to the end you know and I think that's not just like they are more you know they've got the, the new game moves you know I think it's a lot of that is they know each other they've seen each other they're familiar with each other like you know the people who were on San Juan the, the people who were on Cagayan the first season they watched after that was San Juan del Sur you know the people who were on San Juan del Sur when, when they were in casting they watched Cagayan you know they, and then even if they're not in an alliance with each other I think that familiarity makes it easy for those people to like work together or not even vote against each other you know I mean with like Kelly Wentworth and Jeremy in Cambodia they weren't ever allied but like they have a familiarity they have a working relationship or maybe keith uh you know rest his soul like you know amazing guy um and and jeremy too it's like they were always in opposite well not always but in the later part of the game we're always technically in opposing alliances or opposing voting blocks but like they were just never gonna turn on each other because like they you know that's someone you knew it's someone who like you had familiarity with and so i mean i do think that's why in a lot of these seasons it's the most recent contestants who who make it to the end so your achilles heel was not having sierra reed out there with you <laughs> exactly if only, but i wouldn't have voted against sierra reed you know you have this like crazy bond with 
with people on your season. Um, I mean, you know, if, if, if it made a lot of sense, I would. But, like, I wouldn't have, like, if I had to choose between two contestants, of course I would keep that person who I had this sort of, like, deep weirdo bond with. Even if I, like, disliked them enormously or felt resentment of them. Not not that I do either of those things for C.R. Reed, But, like, you know, you would still you would still keep them. I mean, honestly, like, that's why I was so upset not to be cast on Survivor um, 26, where it's because I knew all those people, you know, <laughs> uh, I, those were all my friends out there. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, like, the people who go out there with all their friends, like, wow, they do they do really well. Like, that's, like, shocking. They, they do, but also one of these phenomena in All-Star seasons, especially the original Survivor All-Stars, right, is those friendships coming in, can I think lead people astray to you know if someone is giving behind their back it's maybe hard to realize that for what it is and then when that uh knife gets plunged in it hurts that much more and it seemed like at the time we saw some of that with uh you and spencer or just spencer and a lot of people frankly and so is there almost a level of comfort in having that emotional distance the way that i I get the sense cochran kind of did from a lot of the people on that season even though they were his friends at the same time well, that's a really good point. And I think like, you know, that's that is a really good point. Like if you have too much, you know, if if, if you lose track of the game, I mean, you're right. It, it cuts both ways. It's a, that's a very good point because um, you can lose. I mean, certainly you're right with all stars. You saw that a lot. And and then, yeah, with with, with Spencer, too. And, and you know, I, I can't blame Spencer for his choices. Like I had a different perception, obviously, of that relationship than he did. Um, no, I can blame him, but I also can understand <laughs> him. Um, but, you know, Cochran's inter- Cochran kind of had it like the best of both worlds because he did have that person right with Dawn where he had this person who or, you know, they went really far together um, in, in in Survivor 23. And then he also has this bunch of other relationships with people who might have perceived him to be more of their friend than, than he perceived them to be. So with like, like Francesca, for example, right? Like, I mean, Andrea is a tough one. I mean, Andrea is probably a similar relationship to, to me and Spencer where, um, you know, at the time Cochran, you know, maybe, they did seem to be real friends, you know, and, and uh, I'm sure that was a painful betrayal for her. Mm-hmm. As a uh, professional storyteller, this is what you do. Uh, I think you're your best place to to weigh in on this compared to anyone. But you've mentioned that there's this kind of crossover now between the gameplay itself and the narrative that emerges around the gameplay. And it seems like the structure of Second Chances was uh, almost primed to encourage that from the outset, where what is your Second Chance story, right? Like, how right. are you going to redeem yourself for your past failures? And now it seems like the entire narrative of Survivor is this mad meta-narrative, if you like. Like, the experience of being on Survivor is talking about the experience of being on Survivor. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 yeah. maybe Cambodia is is one thing that really nudged it in that direction. That's a very, very smart observation. I actually haven't thought about that at all. I mean, certainly, you know, we joke a lot about the all the like the survivor analogies and how like tribal council is just them talking about what survivor is rather than actually like playing survivor or like you know talking about their tribe dynamics but that's a very good observation that like even even how that the way the contestants are framing their own experience of being on Survivor is through the lens of like what it means to be on Survivor, not like I'm having an outdoor adventure, not I'm playing this amazing strategy game, but like I'm on Survivor for all. I mean, I, I don't know. There, there is a sort of a slight, yeah, like meta textual. And, and hey, P.S. Like, thank you for the the Jonathan Penner um, shout out. Um, which is that was deliberate, right? That's what you do. That was a, a Penner, it, it is a what I do. And I, I'm yeah, a yeah, professional yeah. shouter out, I suppose. Of Jonathan Penner, um, the the uh, yeah. So that's that's really interesting. And you're right that like with Second Chance, it became very much like what is your second chance, and then and then people started to really, I mean, define themselves by that and 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 play that way. And I think like every single contestant kind of had this sense of you are going to have to explain to the jury at the end how you fulfilled your second chance. And I mean, I certainly like that was part of my fixation on Joe was this idea like it wasn't like I had this huge issue with Joe, although that was true too. Um, but it was also the sense that like, I have to get out Joe because that is me. That's like my jury speech. That's my, that's my second chance narrative, you know? And everyone was like, what's your second chance narrative? And, you know, I think for Tasha and Spencer, it was very much, um, I need to get to the end, you know? And, and to the, to the point where they weren't even thinking like, what do I, how do I win it? <laughs> you know, they were like, we, I couldn't get yeah. to the end last time. Now I just need to make it to the end. I remember a conversation I had with Tasha. I was like, okay, but if you make it to the end with Jeremy, he's going to beat you. And she's like, but that's not my story. My story is about how do I get to the end? And I was like, okay, but like, maybe you want to think about how you win at the end too. 
and I, and I do think like with the theme seasons that kind of came later in the late 30s, that was very much sort of what the game became too, right? Like David versus Goliath, just they talked incessantly. What What is it to be a David? How am I a David? How am I a Goliath? Who is a Goliath? And, um, you know, I, I mean, I guess, uh, and, and, you know, that became much more the structuring conceit of the show. It's a, it's a really interesting observation, Dom. Yeah, and then as for the how that feeds into the gameplay itself, it makes sense in terms of people just performing their roles for Sierra to complain that no one's making any moves and why won't people play in a more fluid way? And for you who at the time you were in this big power structure to say, well, actually, yeah, we are playing hard. And actually, uh, in fact, if you check the tape, we're playing harder than anyone ever has before. We're playing in a whole new <laughs> frontier of Survivor here um, yeah. in a way that I guess you, you say those things because it makes sense to say, but then also it makes sense to believe them on some level. And then the game kind of becomes wrapped up in how many people choose to believe those in, in what different ways? A hundred percent. I mean, I think that's exactly it with especially like, you know, it's like, like I think that's that's actually one of the most exciting things about Survivor always is the, is the way that the contestants sort of like create the, like the, narrative or the you know the sort of like um philosophical framework around which the game is played you know it's like i remember even in token chains that was the case though where like you know coaches saying well why does it have to like why can't the the strong make it to the end and the warriors can make it to the end together of course then he like defined warrior like radically downward so that like basically anyone who was friends with coach became a warrior i was a warrior <laughs> you know debbie debbie bb who was you know <laughs> one of the smallest contestants probably to ever play the game was a warrior you know we're all warriors at heart um and and but but i do think that is you know really true in a, in a season like Cambodia 2 where it, like it did be I think you're right like it became like the more we say this is a game about voting blocks like the more it's like well shit I um, shoot I need to play you know a, a game of, of voting blocks the, the same way that you, you may be a wimpy little non-leader but by definition any alliance that has a leader is going to have a bunch of non-leaders in it it just so happens that <laughs> those non-leaders are maybe more enthralled to a certain Andrew Savage than, uh, than you are with the passage of time then does it almost feel like Cambodia is old school-ish in a way at this point. And certainly on the topic of losing to Jeremy, um, you know, Jeremy, I, I think, proved very adaptable and flexible to that context that he was in. But taking a big picture view, it seems like the game he played in retrospect was actually pretty old school in the sense of he wasn't outside of, you know, the occasional adventure with you and Stephen or you and Spencer to, to blindside Wigglesworth. Like, for the most part, he, he had his people and a lot of people thought they were like Jeremy's number one guy. And he just mostly like kept things pretty solid pretty dependable and just rode that to the end yeah i mean a lot of people think they were jeremy's number one guy but there's only one person he played an idol for <laughs> um no but, but no but I, I agree with you though, though that i do think that um you're right that jeremy played an old school game like he was the alliance guy and, and that i mean i think was to his benefit right and people knew where they stood with him and I, you know i think that was always spencer's challenge was that because everyone actually thought they were allied with Spencer, then when he voted them out, they felt really betrayed. Whereas with Jeremy, there was a sense like this is his group and that's the other group. And if, when Jeremy's voting against you and you're the other group, you know, that's OK. You know, you don't get as hurt by that. And so is that an old school thing or does that continue to be true today? I mean, I, you know, I, I do wonder, like to me, that seems like a very human aspect of the show. It's like however much you want to feel that, oh, it doesn't really matter. And like, you know, I, I, I won't be betrayed because it's all a game. I do think like the people I still believe that the people who kind of like pivot back and forth too much are the ones who end up you know, getting shut out basically because people are, people are hurt by them. I mean, the, I don't know. It's so interesting because like who's winning survivor now, you know, it's not at all a sense of the metrics are totally different. I mean, you guys must have thought, like what, what makes someone a survivor winner now? It, it, it does feel like it's a much more fluid definition of who should win. You know, it's like who can tell a story about why they should win. It's who can, I mean, why? Why are people winning? <laughs> Explain I, it to me. So, I, so I, I didn't even piece this together until I was prepping for this interview uh, last night, Stephen. But I think uh, to return quickly to the subject of Jeremy, the thing that stands out in my mind, I feel like he was very vocally an advocate for an idea that has, as far as I can tell, very much taken over modern Survivor, and I think completely correctly so. And that is the idea of as he would put it meat shields but more generally i think yeah. as like i've heard you describe it just threat level mitigation which in my mind is essentially what survivor is all about like on a fundamental level and i realized last night i think all four of the winners in the new era are people who 
were quite deliberate in wanting not to peak too early, but yeah. to still have room to peak down the stretch. Uh, and that, I think, is one of the things that makes Cambodia really stand out to me on a rewatch. And I think Adam Klein also, by the way, uh, went a long way in kind of uh, further propagating that idea yeah. not too long after your season ended. Uh, it kind of seems like even as the idea of you have to build your resume is being insisted upon more and more, it also feels like you can just kind of kick that into touch until later on. And so, as, as Colin said, all, all of the winners in the new era, they have maybe their one or two big defining moves that often came quite late in the game, you know, final seven, final six, that kind of time. And it feels like there is room now to de- uh, deliberately or otherwise lay low for a long time. And then once you make your move, that is the thing that you can point to. And maybe there's some actual recency bias involved where like you you make your pre-merge move and then by the time you get to day 26 now people have forgotten about it uh but it might make sense in a world where the game actually is pretty fluid to delay becoming the next biggest threat on the docket until it's kind of too late to do anything about it because you're already in the end game yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's right. I mean, there was you know the other obviously big change in the game seems to be that it's really about just getting to the end and being <laughs> being well liked. So almost you know, I, I, someone on 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 Twitter said this thing and it stuck with me as like you know it's like it's like a a completely random game. So all, what you really should do is just like keep your head down and just try to make as many social bonds as possible and hope you're there at the end and 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 are a well-liked person but um i do think you're right that that if there is a strategy it's about coming up with as many meat shields and people to take the focus off of you as possible and like keeping those meat shields in the game i mean jeremy was certainly you know one of the biggest proponents of it that you know he's probably most associated with the meat shield strategy tony obviously too you know he was one who you know that's why he kept spencer around so long he said was because you know because the focus was always going to be on getting out spencer then it was never going to fixate on him him to the same degree but that's i think that's a really smart observation I'm curious where you stand all these years later on something that I know I've asked you probably repeatedly over the years, and I'm sure others have as well. And I feel like I've heard you kind of go back and forth. So I wanted to take your temperature Uh in the year 2023. (laughs) The idea of, in retrospect, wishing you had played less aggressively or not, and like, potentially pursuing the idea of i'm just gonna play more passively ride it out to the end probably lose to jeremy but at least not come away with any major regrets at least potentially where are you on that these days yeah i mean my biggest regret of all is of course not voting for abby maria at the tribal council that i went out on like and i i do like feel like i could have not made that mistake like i think that that was a that was had I been like slightly playing slightly more defensively and not even like in, in, the, in the same terms that you're talking about aggressive versus defensive, but just more like something's wrong. Let me do the safe thing here. Um, I think maybe I could have gotten that. But but yeah, I, 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 um, I believe that that probably would have been the correct choice to stick it out with Jeremy and not try to like, you know, I, I had this sense but a lot of it was my own insecurity, you know, that like I really if I was going to win, I really had to like shake up the game in a way. And um, it, that obviously, you know, was not the right sense. You know, like part of me, I, I felt like this sense of like got like being trapped in it. And I know I'm probably said the exact same thing when I spoke to you about this eight years ago, you know, like being trapped almost in this like token sheen style um, alliance structure where like Jeremy was JT, you know, I, I, Tasha and Taj had very similar names. And I felt like they had, had like, I had similar roles, you know, similar connections with them and where they, they were like probably my number one ally, but like, you know, they were, were they really going to betray the JT, you know? And then like, I had like the Aaron Kimmy thing and that kind of was, had like some sort of like mirroring where like, I had like, felt like I had my pocket ally who I, I thought I could beat, although, <laughs> although now who knows? Um, so I, I felt the sense and, and, and two, I think some of my baggage from, you know, token chains stuck with me of like, oh, if I get to the end, I'm going to lose badly with this in this scenario. And I never had the sense of like these people respect me. You know, I didn't like and maybe, you know, maybe in token chains, I mistakenly thought I was more respected than I was. You know, maybe I thought like I could pick up a few votes and then um in Cambodia, I think I thought I was less respected than, it. you know, I think I had a, a, I didn't realize how. 
I, I do think I could have got some votes, you know, for playing the game I was playing and and uh, making it to the end. I also I also did not realize how much the jury hated Tasha. And if I had known that, like I, I thought Tasha was a threat to win. But but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that trying I mean, just this exactly what we're talking about here. Right. Like waiting a little longer until the very end to make your move. You know, that's probably the correct way to play Survivor now. And it's probably was probably the correct way to play Survivor then. So I do sort of wish. I mean, you know, I had laid low um, and not done. And I honestly, like I've said this before, like I wish I'd just thrown that advantage in the fire like the second I got it. Of course, no one would have believed I threw it in the fire, so it probably wouldn't have made much of a difference. Maybe I should have just like played it at the next tribal council just to get it out of my hands. But, I, you know, I do think well, like, I mean, I, I would also say in, in your defense about that advantage, like the entire history of survivor advantages to that point were ones where like anyone would be dead right to immediately jump into the water and try to swim at the buoy and like take full advantage of it because they were like often very overpowered. Yeah. Well, I mean, steal a vote was yeah. pretty overpowered. It was just like, and, it, and it, you know, it also did have the the power like to, to flip that vote at that trial council that I was going home at. So, um, you know, that, that would have been a great, great use of it to save myself. <laughs> I, I guess more what I'm getting at is I feel like this was basically the first cast that, appreciated just right. how dangerous the person with the advantage was uh to, to quickly return i'm sorry Stephen. i i'm terrified that this is going to make it sound like i'm like speaking for you which no, I please, no I, i'm not attempting to know, do I, mean, I need some more coffee I, before I, I can speak for myself no well i i've heard you say uh a lot of things over the years about the idea of just kind of playing more passively and making it to the end and probably losing to jeremy but you never know i can't shake the feeling though that like if that timeline did indeed come in and like you did lose to Jeremy in the end, at least if I were in your shoes, I would feel like that would be like the one timeline I would want to avoid above all others on the heels of token chains. Well, right. That's right. Because you, you're right. You want to feel like you did something different and that you, that I that is sort of how I felt at the time. And that is how I feel now. I mean, I, I, I think you're right, Colin, that like it, that would be. And gosh, you really call you really like you know you know calling me out for being so variable in my answers, I, which you know I unfortunately now I, I feel. I like mean, you're I, a flip flopping weasel, so it's not really a surprise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I I try I think that's right, and that is the feeling I had at the time, which was like before all other things, I can't be another be a zero vote finalist again next to like this season's JT, you know. And I and I was saying Joe was this season's JT, but like everyone knew Jeremy was that season's JT, you know. And like I, I, I there's you know, for me the Joe JT comparison was more about my second chance narrative and blah 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 blah. But um, it really was clear that like Jeremy was that guy, and um, that was my greatest fear was like you know because my my persona on Survivor, you know, for years people will be like, oh, you got no votes. You got, And I am, am the only person in the history of Survivor to get no votes in a final two. Um, so, you know, that fear of like being this guy who can just kind of like coast to the end and then, and then, you know, get zero votes, you know, this sort of like Survivor remora, you know, was my, um, was, was the biggest fear. And so in some ways, like going out as, as a big threat was great. I mean, you know, I would have liked to not have gone out like a, that exact moment where like I was playing my big advantage and it blew up in my face. And honestly, like if I was salty at Spencer about anything, it was mostly that sense of like, you know, don't like, you can't blame him for his timing. Um, again, I can, but, um, but, uh, no, but, you know, that was sort of like, why, you know, why does it have to be right now? You know, right, right when I'm like trying to do my like signature move, like, let me have that and then like send me to pasture. Um, of course, like, you know, you can't, you know, he's not playing his game for the sake of my highlight reel. Uh, speaking of Jeremy, uh, have your thoughts on him as a winner and then I guess him as a winner at war, uh, change in the, the year since then, because going into that season, you know, in, in Cambodia, the, the meet short strategy worked well and Jeremy was seen as like a big threat coming in and for good reason and probably should have been seen as an even bigger threat than he actually was and then coming into Winners of War him having done that the first time made him an even bigger threat but now he is showing that stage with the best of the best and some of the biggest names in Survivor history and uh, I don't know where the meet your strategy lands in that context where literally everyone out there is is a big threat to some degree. Yeah, I don't think Jeremy, I mean, I really would think it would have been almost impossible for Jeremy to to win again. I mean, like, such a good guy, fire, firefighter, you know, three, I, I don't know how many he had at Winners at War. I guess he had all four kids at Winners at War. 
like it's insane to me that that guy made it to the end in Cambodia. Like the fact that he had a third child on the way was like, which was somehow like his like, oh, well, we didn't know he had a third child. He was still a firefighter with two kids. Like he was still like, obviously, just from a pure biography perspective, the guy who's going to sweep when he gets to the end. And that's what I kept trying. I mean, like that, if nothing else, is like the thing I'm most outraged about. Like the, the fact that they would vote me out instead of Jeremy out when they had the exact same numbers is insane. It's so dumb. You know, like it's so dumb. Um, I had never thought about that, that like the third kid is the tipping point. Yeah, exactly. It was a beautiful speech, but like, come on. He was like, the the bio was there already. You know, Um, he was there sitting next to two people who, you know, were had zero kids. And I mean, you know, it it had uh, of course that has an impact on people. It's how it's how they not just in terms of like, you know, how much you need it, although that's certainly on people's mind, but just generally they're like narrative around you. Oh, this is like the nice family guy who's like, you know, like muscling his way to the end, you know, for for love, but as opposed to like, you know, oh, this is the bratty young hotshot, you know. I mean, like it's it's like uh, of course it affects people. I mean, it's just like insane that they didn't vote him out um, in in Cambodia. But I don't I I don't think um, I don't think that that he really had a, a shot in winners at war for that for that very reason because. Um, they they already had seen him do it, like you said, Doc. Yeah, that, that topic of parenthood is something we were very keen to to pick your brain about because in both Cambodia and Winners of War, it felt like one of the dynamics that informed everything else was it's an older cast with a lot of parents in it. And if you were on the outside of that shared bond, as uh, Spencer was in Cambodia and as you were at the time, uh, and as people like Nick Wilson, Michelle Fitzgerald were in uh, Winners of War, uh, I mean, Stephen, we, we've been saying that you are mother for over a decade now, and that the facts have finally caught up to us. Um, so <laughs> given that, uh, has, has that changed your perspective looking back on just what that bond meant in Cambodia? And then I guess also on what it meant to be outside of it too. I mean, I, I do think, you know, I, you know, even at the time, to be fair, like I, I, th- I, I weighed that very highly, you know, because I do think you give, you want to, you know, being able to award a million dollars to someone is a very powerful, you know, powerful power is a very, it's a life-changing power. Um, and, you know, you want who wins to be about who played the best game, but I don't think anybody, and maybe to some degree it is more now, um, but I don't think anybody is completely not thinking about what that person is going to do with the money, what it means to them, um, how it will affect their family. You know, famously, right, Kimmy um, was a real threat to win Cambodia because of that aspect of her being a, a single mom with two kids. And I, you know, Joe Reed just had a really great piece about survivor heroes versus villains, kind of like a, a summing up of what was so great about that and, and the villains. But one thing he didn't mention was I do think a lot of the reason Sandro was such a favorite or got so many votes was that sense of like, you know, this is a noble person. You know, she's got kids. I know. I, mean, I don't know if a lot of people call Sandra a noble person, but like you know, she's got you know kids. She she's calls a, herself she, nobility quite often from what I've seen. <laughs> that's right. I guess that's right. The hereditary uh, monarchy. Um, the the. Uh, you know, she's she's a vet. She's married to a, a vet. You know, she's um, got two kids. And, and I think that, you know, probably affected a lot of the heroes votes when they were deciding between whether they wanted to vote for her or for poverty. Um, would my being a parent now make me more inclined to give it a parent to, to a parent than I was at the time? I mean, it would probably make me feel more at ease with the other parents. You know, you can maybe just as a as a subject of conversation and, you know, but I don't think it would necessarily change my decision about who deserved it more. But I, I to be honest, like I really I already kind of was factoring that in like that to me was something that was meaningful. Mm-hmm. And just in general, as uh, time has gone on and we, we've all got older, has that changed the way that you look back on uh, either of your seasons or Survivor as a whole? Because not to to really drive the point home, but we're now further removed from Cambodia than that gap between Token Chains and, and Cambodia uh, was in the first place. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> That's, I, I wish you hadn't told me that time. Jeez, I, oh, I didn't I, need I, to hear that. Oh, my God. I, I found a really vivid way to frame it, yeah. Uh, so w- with that in mind, uh, at the forefront of your mind, uh, Stephen, um, I don't know, like looking back on... God, I need to just, I need to go and cry. <laughs> so so Looking boring. back on that ancient history now, I mean, does, does that change the way that you view things? And is that maybe different from how if your first season was in like your late 30s, early 40s, and that's true of your second season too, maybe that gap just doesn't really exist in the same way. Right. 
Um, I, I mean, I do think like I was the perfect age in token chains to play Survivor. Um, you know, I think I was, you know, I was, I guess, 28 at the time or 29. Um, and it, you know, it's a good age because you are still young, you know, but you have a like life experience. You know, I had worked in a corporation for quite a few years. I had a sense of like how to work with people who weren't like me. I had, a, I had, I had like an ability to build bonds, but I still had a little bit of the sociopathy that comes with being a young person, you know, like I didn't, you know, I wasn't as like emotionally caught up in, um, you know, other people's stories. You know, I, I didn't have the same, you know, I, I obviously like wanted to connect with them, but I, I think I was much more in game mode than like, you know, as you get older, it's funny, like I, I hadn't, I never quite, and I'm not sure if this is answering your question, but I'd never quite articulated it, but then Albert Destraud from, uh, Survivor 23, um, responded to some tweet thread between me and, and Tyson where he was like, you know, when I played Survivor, I like never cried. And now that I'm in my like late thirties, I cry all the time. And I was like, wow, like, yeah, like I'm actually like, you think that as you get older, you become like less emotionally volatile, but to some degree you become like more emotionally vulnerable. Um, and I think that makes you probably a, you know, a worse Survivor player. You know, you become like, you know, too wrapped up in the emotions and not able to maybe make that separation and that is sort of why i think that like had there been more less of a gap between my first and second times you know not only would i have been like less out of this i mean less out of the survivor scene less out of the um you know less but but also just like more in that sort of like youthful place of being like a you know having that sort of like separation between the emotions and the strategy um you know in some ways having kids is it makes it harder right like where you are missing your family. You're missing your kids. Like you're like more caught up in the emotions of the life that is going on without you so quickly. I mean, you know, my daughter now is is three almost. And like every day is just like a wealth of like amazing, beautiful, wonderful moments. And the thought of like leaving that for six weeks, you know, and just like missing so many changes, like, of course, you're like, all of your like emotions are going to be at the surface there. Like, how do you possibly um, separate that? So, you know, maybe and maybe as they get older, it's it's better. So I, I know this is like probably not even remotely what you were asking. You know, no, maybe no. the best is to like have like no kids or like teenage kids, you know, where it's like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not changing that much day to day, but like young kids. And I remember Taj, you know, I remember Taj and, and Token Sheens, you know, she like um, her, her uh, son at the time was three and she, you know, it just hit a wall about three weeks into the game where like all she could think about was how much she missed her son. And she went from being like one of the most like dynamic, active, you know, strategists of the season to really just kind of hanging out in the shelter and like missing her family. And I think, you know, um, that is, um, yeah, I mean, that's something that makes it so much harder. Like, I can't imagine playing Survivor now. <laughs> I mean, also because I feel so frail. Um, you know, my, my joints hurt so much. It's uh, One thing that really struck me on, on this rewatch was I, I think Cambodia acquired this reputation as a game body season or a season that really pushed Survivor in that direction of just being all about strategy and so on all the time. And I think I had internalized that narrative and actually repeated it a, a lot on here it really struck me watching the season back there's a lot of like really raw emotion in it uh, and if anything it feels a lot less game body than yeah. a lot of seasons on either side of it and i wonder if you know maybe there's some connective tissue between that and you know that that current trend you identified of it is very emotional like outwardly all the time but it felt like cambodia is unfairly pilloried in that sense uh, for being just something that it really isn't well, I think that might have been in some of the stuff we were talking about at the start in terms of the the voting blocks aspect and the game moving forward, where the strategy that was happening was basically so fast moving. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, like fast moving in a stupid way, you know, where it was like changing all the time um, that it became that the narrative that was being presented on screen was not really a sensible, like strategic um, summary of what was happening you know, at camp. And I think that's, you know, one of the flaws and frustrations of Survivor now, which is that, like, you don't really have a sense of, <laughs> of any of the game, you know? And that was, I think maybe that's one of the biggest sea changes that we haven't really talked about was, you know, you, for, you used to be able to 
like kind of follow the strategic thinking of a survivor season. You know, you kind of knew why people were doing making the decisions that they were making. And I think Cambodia, you know, partially because of that sense of we need to move this faster and partially because of this sense of they were return we were returning players, so returning players always play harder. You know, the thing that the the way strategy was moving was not um really digestible as a viewer you know i mean i like not having watched it back i remember this i remember you know watching at the time being like well i guess you know the person who was eliminated on this tv show was the same person who was eliminated when i was playing the game so to that degree they're similar but like none of the rationale or the flow or you know why the major decisions were made was that was that similar to what you know you got like a like a, a tiny sliver of it um but you are right that like there was so much emotion um and i think you're right that it was probably because of the older cast and also just it, it being a second chance season and the, that fixation and 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 maybe this is like you were saying earlier dom like this is part of the change of like survivor kind of becoming a little more self-aware like for the first 30 seasons you know they really really avoided that right they really did not want survivor to be about survivor they didn't want any sense that the contestant you know they wanted like contestants plucked from around the world around the country showing up in this jungle no mention that there was a tv show called survivor i mean one of the big i mean cochran mentioning watching survivor in season 26 was that was probably a, a huge Oh, no, season 23, he said that, you know, you know, and talking about, you know, his Twitter profile in season 23, like that was one of the big um, steps forward for the show was like, you, they, you never talked, they never talked about having Survivor on TV, you know, before Cochran talked about having it, uh, watching Survivor on TV. Um, I, I mean, when I say never, someone is going to be like, well, actually, they talked about this in season five. We all remember that classic confessional with, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, in terms of the overall, you know, zeit of the show. Um, and I, I do think like some of that sense of, casting people and then like pushing this narrative on them of you failed your first time how are you not going to fail this time um really like brought some of those emotions to the surface um again i'm not sure if i answered your question but i did ramble on for quite some time so now that so much time has passed between cambodia uh and modern day what are the like lasting memories from for you from your experience out there like any particular highlights that you still think back on particularly fondly that's nice i mean i'll, I'll focus on some of the fondly ones i mean i you know i think about the challenge that we won on buy on the second buy on where you know the one that um was me wiggles Spencer, Jeremy, you know, I think about the helicopter retreat and what we had, you know, all of in the pool. Um, I think about you know, certainly how disgusting my feet were. Uh, I remember the, I think a lot about the night challenge that um, I won and how fun that challenge was and the gross food eating competition and how much I loved being a part of that. Um, you know, whenever I watch a marooning, I go back to our marooning on the boat in Cambodia much more than I do our marooning in Token Chains. I think about that marooning on the boat and just the chaos of that and the thrill of walking up that rope ladder. You know, when Jeff said go and you're you jump off your boat into the water and walk up that rope ladder like this extreme, just how intense the excitement and the adventure like you're literally jumping into an adventure um, and you have no idea where it's going to take you. And just it's so fun you know like like climbing up that ladder you know it's like wow i'm in this i'm in an adventure and then you know it's going to be televised and that's cool too you know like um i'm like a big character in this adventure that's happening um now now that i've lulled you into a false sense of security do you have yeah. any particularly like traumatic memories that have stayed with you well obviously like i have like lived being in that voting confessional for my last voting voting time like many many times i have like tried to like force my hand like through time like reach back through time to like telekinetically force my hand to write abby instead of joe on the second <laughs> parchment i really have like worked hard at that and so far i've not yet uh, managed to break the space-time continuum but if it does fracture i honestly i feel like i could be partially responsible um and that obviously is a big one i mean the not bringing my i mean the feel not bringing my my advantage to the tribal council with sierra was voted out it was it was another big one just that sense of like that sort of dawning sense of dread i had like right before we left for tribal council when i was like oh crap it's me like i'm it's gonna be me tonight like and there was nothing i could do about it um unfortunately there was something jeremy could do about it but but um that obviously those are those are two of the the big ones um you know, 
picking rice. I mean, I've I've told I've told this story before, but like picking rice out of the bag with Kelly Wentworth the day that she was supposed to be eliminated, and just being like not, you know, not seeing <laughs> like something was very wrong there. Um, right? Why does she care what the rice is going to be if she's not going to be here? Yeah, exactly. Like no one is spending like an hour picking bad rice out of a good rice bag. You know, if if they know they're going home that night, and she was like, oh, I guess it's me that night. I guess it's me. I was like, why didn't I? you know, pick up on that. Just like the little things that I, I could have picked up on that, that I should, that I should have picked up on. Um, I, oh, then we've, we actually talked, sorry to cut you off, but about that dynamic within the context of like the second chance cast overall, where most of them, if, if not virtually all of them, other than you came in with, moderate to significant regrets about their first time around and you didn't really have that going for as, as almost like it, it was kind of like a disadvantage for you to not have anything you would really take back from the first time around other than win final immunity <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> well i did want to like play a bigger game and i think that that ultimately cost me a lot you know i want i mean uh, you know uh, yeah i mean like i came in with the, the thing i regret the most i would say actually is like you know I think in my first season, um, I was very good. I was really like learning, came in with the Rob Sesternino model of, you know, make friends with everyone. It's like the people who are on the outs who are going to be your best allies. Um, that was not something that was possible in Cambodia because, you know, everyone had their own game so much, you know, in this, whereas in token chains, you know, people were like, you know, we were still a bunch of like idiots, like, you know, circling blindly through the, through, you know, Brazil. Um, it had no idea what we were doing. Um, but, but, um, right before I went to, and I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this, right before I went to Cambodia, you know, I talked to, to Cochran and he was like, he said, and I, I maybe have even shared this with you guys. Um, he, so, so please stop me if this is boring and repetitive. The, you know, what I did was I always, he said to me, what I did was I always talked to strategy, you know? So then, cause I was like, how do you make it to the end and not have people be so mad at you? You know, like, how do you get there? You have to form these bonds with people you're going to be so, you know, you want them not to be burned by you at the end. And he was like, what I was like, I, I just talked constantly about strategy. Like I didn't try to do anything personal at all. You know, I just was, and therefore like people always saw me as a strategic thinker. So like when I got to the end, then like they, they were not, they didn't feel as, as betrayed by me. And I was like, got it. Like that's, I, I thought that that was a sensible, a sensible tactic. And so that's what I did. And it really cost me because I did not have those personal bonds with, um, people that I like, you know, I didn't, I never had a bond with Keith, you know, he and I never had a working relationship. And whereas like token chains, me absolutely would have had a working relationship with Keith, you know, um, I just never had those connections that I think you really need. And it was because I was deliberately resisting them partially a strategy, but also because one of my big, um, challenges from token chains was how, deeply bonded I became to people and how much it hurt to betray them. And I didn't want to like go through that emotional, like one, well, the reason I almost said no to Cambodia was largely that it was like, I didn't want to have that like intense, awful emotional experience of like breaking people's hearts, having my own heart broken, you know? And so how do you play a survivor with emotional distance? Like it's basically impossible. So anyway, I, I asked, like I said to one of the producers um, who's friends with me in Cochrane at the end, like I was like, you know, this is what Cochrane told me. And you know, like that's sort of why maybe I didn't have these bonds. And he was like, yeah, but that's a great strategy for Cochrane because Cochrane, like he's such a vulnerable guy. You know, he's so emotion, emo you know, he's like, he's always sharing with you. So for him to like create this strategic persona, people still felt bonded to him because he's Cochrane. But for you, like you're a little more reserved. You're, I mean, maybe people don't think about that about me, give, like post post weeping at it. But like you know, you're a little more like hard to get to know. And so if you then like shut that part of yourself off, people feel distance from you. Like you needed to turn up the emotion. And I was like, oh fuck. Well, but um, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, so that's like honestly, like that's one of my biggest regrets. And not to, you know, is like. You know, so much of your strategy has to be in response to people's perception of you. You can't just take like someone else's strategy and run with it, you know, you, because everyone's strategy needs to be about like who they it's like about knowing who you are and how people perceive you and then like playing with that accordingly. And you can't like, oh, because Cochran did it this way or Sophie did it this way or Ethan Zahn did it this way or Jeremy did it this way. You know, like you can't ever have 
you know, there's there's aspects of someone's strategy that you can take, but so much of anyone's strategy is who they are as a person. And, you know, you really have to come up with your own. I would also say it's probably a bit different when you're primarily working with like Malcolm and Andrea and Brenda Lowe and not trying to uh, have to win over like Andrew Savage, for instance. <laughs> uh, that, that, that may be a different bar to clear. Uh, Steven. Well, I do think I, I do think I got uniquely I had like a uniquely bad tribe draw. And I mean, we've talked about this before where like all of my friends were on the other tribe. Like like I was I, I mean, even Terry Dietz, you know, like Terry Dietz and I had been talking for a decade or I guess not a decade. I guess, you know, however long it had been since since uh, Token Chains. We, we had been talking for like seven years about like being on a season together. When I saw Terry Dietz was on the cast, I was thrilled, you know, and, and then like literally like every single person I was friends with, like Spencer and Shireen and Terry Dietz and even like Wentworth to a, to a degree and Wu, who I was excited to play with and Vetus, who I was friends with, you know, like they all were like sailing off on the other raft. And so I do think for me, like I got a sort of like uniquely bad draw where like even Jeremy I was like this is a guy whose wife I made fun of in my in my blog like you know he, he's like this isn't a great this isn't great for me um you know Tasha was the one person I was really excited to see and I mean Sierra to a lesser extent but like you know I was terrified like to have Savage and Keith and like Joe I mean Joe you know it's like all these guys who I didn't necessarily have anything in common with um Kimmy who I'd never spoken to before you know and to have all and to be on the like broy tribe instead of the you know the strategy tribe would just you know sucked i mean you know obviously there was wonderful advantages to being on Bion, you know in terms of all the like the fun gizmos that that joe and keith made but um you know it was it was a very bad tribe draw for me and if they had like switched me with you know either spencer or vetus i would have had i think a much uh much different game i mean who knows what who knows how it would have yeah. gone but yeah. Uh, so did you say that you have never rewatched Cambodia since it initially aired? Oh, God, no. <laughs> don't need to relive that. I don't even know so, if I completely well, rewatched Token Sheets. When, when your kids are old enough, is that something you plan on doing with them? Or if they were, if they expressed an interest in watching your Survivor seasons, would you be open to that? I mean, I would definitely watch... Um, um, token chains with them yeah that would be fun um i mean hopefully by that time you know i can delete cambodia from the digital record no um i, I mean i don't know i don't know if i would show them cambodia you know i i uh you know it's not like you don't it's not exactly like a paternal uh you know, like, that's not like dad you know like this guy like weeping on the jungle and you know screwing up with the the branch you know that's not exactly how you want your kids to see you um but well, i don't mean to push too hard would you be uncomfortable watching it with them in the future yeah i mean that's what i think i'm saying it's like i do th i mean like you know who, who knows where i'll be in the future right and and obviously in the future when they're when they are big enough to watch it you know in five or six years i will be a, a really different guy so like you know that'll be like that's this was dad when he was younger or this was dad in a you know a, a very different situation so it won't be you know it won't be maybe as much me um you know as as it even still feels now although as you as you remind me it's been quite some time um the uh but I, I, yeah, I don't have any great desire to watch. You know, again, like we can watch token chains together. I mean, would you, would you say that you regret Cambodia at all? I definitely regretted it quite a lot afterwards. Huh. Um, I now, I'm glad I got to play Survivor twice. I'm really glad I got to play it. Um, I mean, this is maybe the same thing and said in a different way. Like, a, just because it like makes you like you know. A bigger figure in the in the pantheon. Um, although now that people are playing, you know, five times, it's like four two. Gosh, that loser. Um, but also, like, I saw more about the game, you know, like, and, and and the show too. You know, like when you're playing it the first time, you're so starry eyed. You know, it's so new. At least for me, um, you know, it's like just this crazy adventure. You can't even see, you know, 80, 90 percent of what's happening around you. And I think like going in the second time, you're like you see so much more of what the experience is, you know, both in terms of like how it's made and just like all of the, the parts of it um, that I think that's like that has been really interesting for me uh, to, to think about. Did you have uh, any kind of like noticeable change? when Survivor Cambodia went up on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely a lot of people reached out to me. And, of course, there were still some people who were like, oh, you, um, you know, you loser, your fixation on Joe. Um, but, um, you know, there was still, I, I, like I said, I, I think, I think like, my performance on that season has aired, has, has, um, 
you know, has aged well, you know, where like a lot of the things I found particularly shameful are less shameful now. Yeah, I think as well, I mean, not not to, to tell you how you should be feeling about it, but you mentioned that even though it was, I guess, more embarrassing in one sense, you did show like a more vulnerable side to yourself. And, you know, I think l- learning to cope with a perceived failure is like a good lesson to learn. So like, I think it, it would be uh, healthy for them to watch it at some point, even if it's maybe, you know, brings back some un- unedifying memories or whatever. Yeah, I wish I'd learned to like win gracefully, you know, rather than learn to learn to live with failure. I think I would have liked to have uh, my lesson. My preferred lesson would be how to win with, yeah. with style. Uh, I, we, we would be remiss as we wind this down if we didn't ask you about, um, sadly, the late uh, Keith Nail, who uh, is, I mean, yeah. quite the character, someone who I don't know how much you would say you ever really had in common with, but maybe that's part of the delight of it all. Keith was such a joy, honestly. I mean, like, truly one of, like, my favorite people, you know, such a good guy. Um, A lot of my favorite memories, and I didn't even mention them, are just Keith, you know? Um, just like things he would do. I mean, I, I've shared some of this before, but like, you know, like, you know, he, he taught me and Tasha how to, to skin and, and cut a, you know, clean a, a chicken, which I'd never done in my life before. Um, but he was just such like a fun presence around camp. You know, he had great stories. He had a lot of like humor about himself. You know, he would like kind of, you know, this sort of aw shucks demeanor that was very genuine. You know, the, he didn't seem like artificial or two-faced in the way that obviously a lot of contestants are, um, you know, and, and he came out off the show and we were roommates together at Ponderosa just for, I guess, like a day or two. And, um, you know, it was just so pleasant to be around him. You know, you could have like a really like straight, honest, heartfelt conversation. And he would like say, you know, um, you know, it's just like really just like sincere things. And like he would tell like very funny stories about himself, you know, and like, why you know funny stories about his life um you know it's it's hard because it's so it's so nebulous you know there's no like great specific anecdote i have of of keith that like didn't that wasn't on survivor you know like like you know him driving the tuk-tuk around isn't even something i I witnessed but it's one of my favorite memories you know i do remember when you know but it just like generally his his presence and, and and the the sense of like lightness and humor he brought was always like you know and even like you know at the time i had animosity towards some of the people who were allied against me right like not like great hatred but like you know I, I was mad at Andrew Savage or I was mad at Joe but like Keith you know he was voting against me but he was always like such a so pleasant and so hardworking and so easy to treat you as a, a human and see the best in you you know that like you know you never could you know fault him too much you know not, not even fault him you, you, you could only like you know yeah this is a game I'm playing with Keith Nail and like how fun is it that that Keith Nail is here and and, and you know it, what, what, a, what a joy that is yeah um Stephen it's been awesome getting to hear from you about all these memories from so, so, so long ago. Uh, one thing to uh, before we get you out of here that I just was curious to hear your take on about like the new era and kind of what Survivor has become after you all so generously got the ball rolling in season 31. <laughs> Do you... I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with my own answer to this question, so I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Do you think that the new era is what Jeff would consider like, this is what we've always been building towards. Like this is what the show should be. And this is just what it's going to be from now on. Or do you think it's going to continue to evolve? Well, I do think one thing that's really great about Jeff is that he is very much, you know, he's someone who wants to keep trying new things and he want, keep, wants to keep pushing the show. So I, I think you're right. Like, you know, and then not that you're right. You didn't really make a make, take a take a take a stand. <laughs> you know, I don't think, you know, this is as, as I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not wrong. Take that yeah. away from me. Yeah. Um, you know, as frustrating as this new era has been for a lot of reasons, you know, I think a lot of us feel strategy is too chaotic. It's too much randomness, right? I mean, you, I, I, you guys probably agree with mm. me, right? There's too much randomness. It's too chaotic. It's hard to like have a strategy. There's like, um, you know, my big pet peeve, of course, is all the analogies in Tribal Council. Um, but that may be that's less like a fundamental feature of the show, maybe than, than the, uh, a quibble. Um, and I do think Jeff, Jeff is always looking for ways to innovate. You know, not you know both in the structure of the show and in the telling of it. You know, and I do think that the telling of it is really good. I really, I mean, I know that there's like a little bit too much focus 
focus on some of the sob stories, but like, I think it's great. I love the humanization of the people. I love getting to know them on different levels. I love that they're integrating more of people's uh, careers and lives into into the experience of, of what it means to be on Survivor. Um, and so I'm sure that it will change once, you know, Jeff gets excited about a new thing and sort of tired of, of where it is now. And that's, you know, hopefully it changes for the better. <laughs> hopefully it doesn't get worse. Yeah. And I, I mean, they're going to have a, an interesting opportunity now with the 90 minute episodes uh, to, to really yeah, open. Things yeah. Well, up. that's a really good point. That's a really good point. I mean, I, it, it, totally remiss of me not to say that, which is that now that there are. Well, I'm minutes, sure you're thrilled to be able to start know-it-alls even later and have 50 percent more content to get through. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't even tell you. I was like, I can't, I can't, I feel personally aggrieved that like, I, I'm someone who like needs to go to bed early. I, I mean, and the fact that I'm going to have to stay up like even longer is, is, is I'm so usually so tired, but I mean, look, it's a joy to podcast about the show. It's so much fun. And I feel like one of the best things for me that's come out of the show is being connected to the survivor community. Uh, and the Rob has a podcast community. Um, and of course the Dom and Colin. Yes, community. of course. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, obviously that, that went without saying, um, but, but, uh, you know, to have to do it again, it's so, so late. Um, but but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, hopefully it uh, uh, that the 90 minute shows allow there to be more insight into the strategy of what is a very right now confusing game. So true last question from me, and then I promise we will get you out of here. Do you think Survivor goes past season 50? Yeah. I mean, my gosh, like why on earth wouldn't it? I mean, you're right. There's like some there's some sense that like maybe Jeff will retire at a certain point. Um, and, and does the show exist without Jeff? I mean, I think the international editions have proven that the show can exist without Jeff. You just need someone who looks very similar and acts very similar to Jeff. <laughs> um, the uh, Honestly, I think Jonathan would be a great takeover host. He's great. I really enjoy Jonathan. Um, he is. Yeah, I also love Nico on uh, South Africa. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen I haven't ever seen South Africa, but like. You know, Survivor is a show that still does really well in terms of its ratings, you know, in a world where there are very few shows that do particularly well. It has a built in audience like CBS will like would be insane to get rid of Survivor, you know, and so I think that they're going to hold on to it as as long as they can. Um, and, you know, I mean, people speculate that they like like, you know, that would be I'm sure they will drive like a dump truck of money up to Mark Burnett's house and been like, you know, figure out a new host. And they'll be like, oh, okay. You know, I, I, they're, they're not going to let it go that easily, I don't think. All right. Uh, well, looking forward to hearing you podcasting about it for 50 and beyond if, uh, if everything works out on CBS's <laughs> end. I, I can tell that you're super enthusiastic about uh, continuing to do so. No, I do and, love and it. I, know I do love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I do yeah. mean that kind of sincerely, that it, it does come yeah. through, that you, that you are still yeah. someone who is very excited to talk about uh, the show and be involved in the community. And we love you for that. Uh, Dom, anything else from you? Uh, I'm good, other than to say thank you, Stephen, for coming on. Uh, it's It's been far too long. It was great to talk to you again. And hopefully uh, we don't get to season 50 before we have another chance to, uh, to come back in here. Well, I mean, God, yeah, but like if, if it's truly been like eight years since the last time. I mean, anyway, it's really a, a pleasure. It's so much fun talking to you guys about this stuff. You guys are, you know, such interesting and, and insightful perspectives on, on it. Um, and I really, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And it's it's fun to get a chance to reminisce um, now that it feels less like <laughs> less painful. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we very much thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down with us here today and thank you everyone who made it this far uh one more time if you would be interested in our cambodia episode by episode eight years later rewatch coverage patreon.com slash dom and colin and we have a very exciting season coming up next that i now i, I think it's now public knowledge uh we are going to be doing pearl islands next so if that sort of thing oh that's fun that's a great one. You. yeah I, i'm very much looking forward to that uh so that is going to do it for us here today thank you one more Wait, time I actually there's one more thing i, I do want to say and i feel like oh, i made a do. few like sn snide jokes about like oh i blame spencer so much like and you know i'm sure someone listening to this will be like oh fishback still so bitter at spencer like that's all tongue-in-cheek spencer and i are um we're we're still fr I mean again like I, I really thought we were good friends beforehand so maybe I shouldn't you know but I, I think we're still <laughs> friends um you know I'm, I'm in occasional rare touch with him of course now that he's you know a little bit more off the grid but um I you know like obviously like I cannot fault him for playing the game that he best thought you know I made choices that weren't great for other people you know I made choices that weren't great for Monica um that probably were not in my service you know like I can say oh Spencer screwed up when he voted out voted me out instead of Jeremy like when I voted out Monica instead of 
you know, Wigglesworth or Spencer, that was a terrible move for me. So, um, you know, there are, um, you know, we all, we all, uh, even if I think he made the wrong strategic move, you know, he was playing the best game that he thought at the time. And I certainly don't, don't fault him for that. So I, I make a few, you know, the, I hope nobody takes my, um, my little like fake like sarcasm or fake bitterness, like to be actually sincere, mm-hmm. because, uh, of course this is all water long under the bridge. And, and, um, you know, he was, he's a great, uh, you know, he was, he was a great game player. Like he played a very interesting, fun game. And of course, um, it didn't, didn't work out for him, but he did very well. It's adorable that you think that that sort of caveat at the end is going to stop the people on Survivor Reddit <laughs> from taking this out of context. Uh, Stephen, uh, thank no, you I, so. Well, it's so funny. Like I, I will like read things on Reddit that are like, and Fishback thinks this and this and this. I'm like, I, I have I ever? I mean, maybe in some context, I speak so much about Survivor. Like it's possible that like there's like a paper trail there. But like I don't think that's how I feel or think or you know. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we have said it all. Stephen, one more time. Thank you so much for taking all the time. And uh, we will talk to you very soon, hopefully. Um, well, thanks. It's, it's been a true pleasure. I'll talk to you guys soon.